This time on episode 415 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We discuss the 1992 X-Men animated series, season 2, episodes 10 through 13. Some background into X-Men, the animated series line producer, director, and storyboard artist, Larry Houston. And we have weekly Marvel news, including Disney Plus Defender series and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. announcement. Patrick Stewart comes clean in a YouTube interview. And Black Panther Wakanda Forever will resume filming in Puerto Rico. I'm Chris Farrell from the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, a wacky weekend morning show, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and the opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told on screen by Marvel Studios. The show is recorded on Thursday, March 3rd, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Fox Kids Wide via www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. Hey gang, happy National Cold Cuts Day. Woohoo! I was a bad celebrator today, though. Mm. I made myself a ham sandwich, and then I decided to go get pad thai. Oh, pad thai. Yeah, I had a burger. You had the sam- You have the sandwich for tomorrow. Fender's bringing us lunch tomorrow, so I probably still won't eat it. No, okay. Well, at least you made one and celebrated it. I actually celebrated de facto. We had a evening in the house, and the kids brought over pizza and subs. So basically, I had a cold cut sandwich, an Italian sub. I believe it's called the Atlantic subs, technically what I had, but no, it was good, and I had no idea it was going to correlate to this tonight. But anyway, we had a fun time. We ate. It was good. I like cold cuts. All right, so let's stop talking about food and let's start talking about Marvel. Because it's a trap. If you'd like to talk to us about things being traps, you can find us at our website, legendsofshield.com. If you want to leave us a cryptic message about some traps that may or may not be in our future, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can share your favorite traps with us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can watch us talking about traps right now on YouTube at youtube.com slash geek. If you want to argue about what the best kind of trap is, head on over to our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the GunnaGeek.com network. As you can tell, we have a full house here tonight. Welcome back, Agent Lauren. Thank you. Glad to be back. All right. We'll have to talk about what you've been up to at a later date. But we have such a packed show tonight that we're just going to get right on into it. (music) 
We've been running down the creative team of X-Men, the animated series, as we march our way through the series before the X-Men 97 series, hopefully at least, airs on Disney Plus. Airs, streams, I guess streams would be the best way to do it. And we've gone through the person that ordered the series at Fox Kids, that's Margaret Lesh. We talked about the composer of the theme, Ron Wasserman. We talked about the Fox Kids executive that ran the series at Fox Kids, not the showrunner. His name was Cindy I. Wander. And we talked last week about one of the line producers responsible for a lot in the first season. And let's just face it what it was. Argument settler, Will Mignon. Well, last week I said we were going to talk about one person that Will worked with, name of Larry Houston. Now, before I go into this, before we had the show notes ready for this week, did any one of you know who Larry Houston was? Unfortunately, no. Right. No, and looking at his IMDb page, I feel like I really should have. That's the way I'm feeling about all the creative team, which is why I've taken the time to go through this. Chris, you agree? It's a really important thing to get the people that are behind the scenes the credit that they're due. So I'm glad we're doing this. So I'm just going to run down his IMDb credits really quick to start out with. He has 12 producing credits since 1986, including 30 episodes of G.I. Joe from 1986. This is all animated. 26 episodes of Captain Planet and the Planet Tears from 1990 to 1991. 11 episodes of Fantastic Four, the animated series from 1995 to 1996. Five episodes of The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest from 1996 to 1997. And 76 episodes of X-Men, the animated series from 1993 through 1997. It really should be 1992 through 1997. He has six directing credits since 1989, including 12 episodes of Fantastic Four, the animated series, 62 episodes of X-Men, the animated series, and 17 episodes of Robocop Alpha Commando. And here's where he really shines. 70 storyboard artist credits since 1981, which include 26 episodes of the original Spider-Man animated series from 1981 to 1982, 13 episodes of The Incredible Hulk from 82 to 83, 24 episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends from 81 to 83. Please don't confuse that to what's on Disney Plus right now. Chris, what's the name of that? Spidey's Amazing Friends or something like that? Do you remember? Yeah, it's something like that. It looks like it's for three-year-olds because it is. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And we will not be covering it because of that. Five episodes of G.I. Joe, The Revenge of Cobra. Eight episodes of the Superpower Team Galactic Guardians, which I don't really remember, but I'm sure I watched it. Seven episodes of Defenders of Earth. 85 episodes of G.I. Joe from 85 to 86. He was involved in Pride of the X-Men from 1989. (laughs) A lot of these creative team members were in that original creative team of that pilot and have been brought forward to do it right, basically, this time. 118 episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, dude, from 1987 to 1991. 39 episodes of Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Four, and, and this is interesting because they allowed him to do some cross here. Four episodes of Batman the Animated Series from 92 to 94. 52 episodes of X Squad from 93 to 94. 
this guy was really busy. If you've been paying attention to the uh, to the, the dates here from the mid '80s to the mid '90s, 44 episodes of X Men: The Animated Series from '92 to '95, eight episodes of The Incredible Hulk, and 13 episodes of The Avengers: United They Stand from '99 to 2000. The Incredible Hulk was in 1997. All right, this was interesting. So I started doing some research, read some articles, and I read Eric Lewald's book, and we'll talk about Eric Lewald in a future episode. But after high school, Larry started a comic book company with two other friends, and they called it Graphics 2000. You guys, you know, when you were younger in in college or high school, did you ever think about creating a comic book company, Michelle? Actually, yes. My friend and I, we were thinking about it, and of course, you know, there were ideas, and she was an artist, but things happen, and we grew apart. I still have the notes, and, you know, we were teenagers, and you can tell. When I was in high school, me and a friend worked together on a comic series. We produced six issues of it, and by produced, I mean got my mom to run off copies for all of our like five readers and yeah that was a learning experience in churning out work in a very short amount of time i think the closest i got to that was in high school when i was just writing a story and never intended art to be with it but it was way too much of a ripoff of a stephen king thing and the school thought it was weird when I was talking to my friends about who should die in the story. I want to take a small moment to do a little plug here in the show. We rarely do this, but I have to do it. Chris, you've been interviewing an awful lot of people on your show, Play Comics, about starting a comic book or comic book company. I would think if somebody wanted a quick resource to get in-depth knowledge from people that are actually in the business right now, your show would be a great place for them to go to. A great episode to do that with somebody who is doing it really right now, so you get lots of current information, is to go back and look at any of the legacy comics episodes where I'm either talking to Patrick Key Jr. or John, last name I'm not going to pretend to pronounce, and he'll be fine with that. Whatever the case, Larry Houston did it. It met its inevitable end from his own words, from what I read and everything. It went to the wayside. And then he started with a respectable career because, you know, his parents and his families and friends said, you know, you got to get a real job. So he did like real job with, I believe, IBM. And I'm remembering this. I might be incorrect, but like GE engines and respectable companies like that. And I remember back in the 80s, after school, there were all these commercials about sending in art for a, like a test. You know, you draw and then you send it in for a test and you get graded and see if you have a future in drawing and stuff like that. I envision that's kind of what Larry was doing at the time. Anyway, he became, after a while, he's like, you know, I really just want to do what I want to do and I want to be in the comic book industry. So he started into the comic industry. And I think he even worked for Marvel for a period of time. I don't know the dates on that, but he did become the first black storyboard artist hired for Saturday morning animated shows in February of 1979. So he was a real trailblazer then. 
He became a line producer for the first season of X-Men, the animated series eventually, which entailed organizing the show, doing model sheets, props, background, and assigning different storyboard artists to draw on the show. That was all him. It's basically in an animated show, especially with hand-drawn animation. He became the director of everything. That's why he's titled director. And I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, I have been teasing this probably for about five episodes now. I think we've been doing this for about six episodes. This is our sixth episode that we're covering X-Men, the animated series. I've been teasing that. I know the story behind the X-Men, the animated series cameos, and we've gone over a lot of the cameos. Well, this is where that story comes to play. But instead of listening to me rattle on about it, what we're going to do is we're going to hear it directly from Larry Houston's mouth. He told the story at WonderCon 2018. There was a YouTuber by the name of John Semper who was there. He recorded it. It's on his YouTube channel. There will be a link in the show notes. And the title of his video was X-Men Animated Series 25th Anniversary Panel. So let's just hear this story about the cameos from Larry himself. And even better, admit Larry against the rules, yeah. because Marvel was very restrictive about who you could show anywhere back then. He snuck like 200 Marvel characters. How you manage that and how you got caught at first and then snuck around it? Yeah, the first time I tried to, you know, back then we were... Spider-Man was on the same network as X-Men, so I tried to put Spider-Man in, like, in a cameo, in a shot, and I put it into the system, and it came back rejected, you know, it's like, why can't I use Spider-Man? It's like, they didn't really give me a reason, they just, just said no. And it's like, okay, you know. Later on, what happened is that it, what I discovered was that there was an episode called Genosha, and the writers... Um, wrote Mutant 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you know, into the show. And so what I did was I brought my comic book collection into work, put it on the Xerox machine, and I said, okay, make this one blob, make this Mystique, make this Sunfire, make this North Star. But I kept the original names, Mutant 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. <laughs> put it into the system, came back, no problem. I went, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> From that point forward, you know, all of these characters, I think uh, Doctor Strange was mutant, magic mutant, Thora was a Norse mutant, Watcher was a, a alien mutant, or everything was Wasn't there a mutant in Africa at one point? Oh yeah, oh, God. that's right. Uh, when it was in the uh, Sanctuary Part 1 and 2, Magneto went to Africa, so I had, I created this African mutant number 3, which was the Black Panther. <laughs> I noticed the first uh, appearance of Deadpool there. That was in the Charles Xavier hallucination. This, this character was attacking him. Yeah, I, it, with, with the, you know, having a character that can, you know, change shape, it was great. You know, it's like, oh, let's put Deadpool in there. You know, it's kind of cool. Put him in there. And uh, I, think, what's uh, that? I think Nick Fury oh, showed up to the big screen at one point. Yes. Howard oh, right. yeah. the Duck is on our T-shirt. Yes. Yeah, I got a chance to sneak a lot of uh, Marvel mythology into the show, just kind of like not... 
The key being, don't call it what it really is. You know, <laughs> you know. you'll keep this a secret, won't you? <laughs> we don't want Larry in trouble. The biggest one was uh, I actually did get Spider-Man in, but I just got his hand in in one shot. I had it was a shot of like I think the world's coming to an end, and all these heroes were saving people, and so I I had a I showed a chimney and a shadow of Spider-Man landing, and then you could see this hand go like this. And it was just called an um, alien, I think they called him a, a mutant hand or something. I just, <laughs> and um, they, uh, I think, yeah, it's in the picture down there, yeah. And that was the only way, that's the only appearance of Spider-Man. I snuck him in later on, you know. That was your friendly neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, for me, it was more, when I grew up reading the comic books, um, Stanley, Marvel had very restricted uh, circulation at the time. And so he would cross-pollinate his books, like you see Spider-Man, you see Thor go to the scene, and then he'd have a footnote saying, like, if you want to see what Thor is going, buy Tales to Astonish number, blah, blah, blah. Now, he, what he did was cross-promoting his books, but he actually created a connected universe. And I loved that as a kid. So when I did the X-Men, I decided to continue that tradition. You know, Spider-Man, they said no, but I found a way to get around it. Yeah. <laughs> but all these characters live in the same world. And yes. It's really cool seeing that they all sort of lived in the same place. Yeah. My, my rule when I did that, though, was that I would add cameos, but only if it didn't, you know, disturb the original story. Right. So that if a person who didn't know the X-Men saw the scene, it wouldn't mean anything to them. But the fans would be able to pick up on who that character was and just, you know, make more excitement for the shows that we were, we were making. Yeah. That's the whole thing that you want to do, is make it a bonus for the fans, and yeah. n never at the detriment to the audience. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a bunch of adults adding intense adult drama to a show, but also adding all this fun stuff, because we knew everybody wanted to have fun at the same time. And we wanted to get audiences of all ages, yeah. and this, this was certainly a highlight of it. Well, I often this... this well, by, by the way, sorry, if you want to see another Easter egg sitting right in front of you... Doctor Strange is grabbing a book by Ditko. <laughs> right, it is. By oh yeah, it was like that in there. <laughs> oh, and the, the, the Sometimes you can put an Easter egg inside an Easter egg. Yeah. He used to put pictures of the artists and their names and you know, his family's names. Oh yeah, just just like uh, if, all, if you had a random files, you know, you might say, you know, the Beast is going to get this one, but the other ones are random, like Eric and you know, all of us, yeah. you know. So thanks again very much to James Semper for recording that and sharing that on YouTube. The entire video is awesome. There's a couple of panels on YouTube with the creative team. This one was awesome because it had Larry's story in it, but the rest of the, the stream is amazing. The video is amazing. So please go check it out again. The link is in the show notes. All right, Lauren, what'd you think? Larry Houston. Oh, that was, I love, uh, stories of people being able to sneak one past whether it's censors or people who you know the marvel snipers whatever again tiny me knew the, like i i knew of these characters even if i hadn't read the comics and it did make the world feel bigger to me and adult me is like oh hey look there's the punisher just knowing that you had somebody like larry houston who knew what he was doing with the characters and proved it by sneaking everybody in here. 
you don't sneak these characters in if you don't have a real passion for the Marvel world that's going on. And I love that we got somebody like that working on this show and really tons of somebody's like that, but he's the one we're focusing on today. I like the point when he said it was just for those who knew. If you didn't know, it didn't matter. It didn't take away from the story. And I think that's something people should remember when they do something like this. One thing that Larry mentioned in the video was that he created an interconnected universe because that's what Stan Lee did in order to promote the books. There's a broader story behind that, and that is DC controlled the distribution for Marvel books for a while. So what they would do is they would front load all their books and then give Marvel fewer slots. So in order to fit in more characters, more story, and to entice readers to buy more Marvel books or issues of the comics, they would make this interconnected, these little cameos. That was big. Stan found that that sold. So through that, through DC forcing Marvel into having fewer issues each cycle, each publishing cycle, it actually increased their value of the interconnected universe. And in that same video, Eric, I believe Julia might have, his wife, Julia, also involved with the show, was the narrator for the panel or the moderator for the panel. I can't remember which one of them, but I think it was Eric, said that this was before the MCU. They didn't have the MCU to rely on. This was even before the X-Men. And I want to tell the X-Men story a little bit later, the X-Men movie story a little bit later. But this was before they actually paved the road for a lot of this. So again, congratulations to people like Larry for making this possible. And thank you very much for sharing that story at WonderCon because now people like us can go back and go, wow, that is how this all came to be. It's pretty cool. The original hashtag, it's all connected. Exactly. All right. That's Larry Houston. If anybody has any stories they want to tell about Larry Houston or art they want to share that they have that's of Larry Houston, please let us know and we will mention it on a future show. Previously on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have a question, quick question to ask you guys. Do you watch one episode a night like Chris said he did a couple of weeks ago? Or do you binge watch it all at once? Time loops. Oh boy. You don't know what you did. Bishop is coming back in time to look at the same thing. Time loops. And then coming back in time to look at the same thing again. Time loops. Comic writers often, they go back and they try to bring in more depth, change a few things. Another thing that I want to talk about, or have somebody else talk to me about, is time loops. When they start talking about the plague and they did the whole quarantine, and I'm just going, I haven't been out of my house because of the current covid situation and this is why is this feeling real again time loops time loops time loops huh? all credit for the video this week goes to chris he did that amazing storyline and visual effects thank you very much chris that was so much fun to put together that ruled Time loops. 
Oh, God, I'm going to be laughing about that for days. I know. I was listening to the episode today, actually, as I was walking Cooper, and I heard myself say time loops in the previous episode, and I'm like, oh, that's where he got it from. I I know. I I mean, I edited the show. I said the words. I know where it was, but it wasn't until I actually saw Chris's thing, because Chris had to share it for me so I could play it on the podcast tonight. And then I was listening to the show as I do. I review the shows a couple of weeks later, just for my own edification to make sure I do things better or try to do things better. And I heard myself say that. I'm like, yeah, okay. This is where I went wrong. Or right. I think you went very right. So right. And the important thing is you didn't know what you did. <laughs> Not until you shared the video. And let me tell you the other side of the story. So Chris sends this video or he says, you guys are going to love this video. And he did it. Uh, when was it Tuesday night? I think yeah, it was Tuesday, Tuesday night. night. You just said it, but you didn't send me the video. So I get all the way to where I'm leaving for work on Wednesday morning and I just text him. I'm like, okay, so you're going to share the video with me or what? How are we going to do this? He's like, I'll, I'll make sure I upload it. So while I'm driving to work, he's uploading this thing. I get to work. I'm in the parking lot and you send me the link. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take a quick look at it. And I'm watching it. And I hear myself say time loops. I'm like, what, what happened? And then I kept on going. So it was <laughs> a driveway moment. Basically at work, I sat and watched the entire thing in my car on my rectangle of all knowledge. That was just like the best YouTube poop right there. Just so good. So thank you very much, Chris. In the meantime, we're going to get into the episodes that we watched for this podcast. They're the finale episodes to season two. And they were aired from January 15th, 1994 to February 19th, 1994. And when you think about it, that's a little early to end a season, but you're talking about kids shows that then rerun two or three times for the rest of the year. So this just gets you into, oh, there were no there were probably VCRs in the 90s, but I don't know how many kids actually used them. Anyway, this is the end after 13 episodes. And Michelle, why don't you run down what happened? Sure. Beauty and the Beast. The Friends of Humanity attack a hospital for the blind that Beast is working at. Beast and one of his blind patients, Carly, fall in love. But Carly's father is a mutant hater and won't stand to see them associating with each other. When the Friends of Humanity connect Carly for associating with a mutant, Wolverine, Beast, and the FOH come to full circle. Meanwhile, in the Savage Land, Xavier and Magneto are struggling to survive. Mojo Vision On a world ruled by television, an alien named Mojo is master. When he abducts the X-Men and forces them to be action heroes in his shows, he may have to deal with more than he bargained for. Xavier and Magneto are still slowly making their way through the Savage Land. Reunion, Part 1 Xavier and Magneto finally make their way back to Xavier's plane, only to be ambushed by some mutates. The new ruler of the Savage Land is revealed. Morse sends a message to the X-Men, luring them into a trap. Reunion, Part 2 The X-Men are now in the Savage Land and are powerless like Xavier and Magneto which leaves the X-Men open to being experimented on by Mr. Sinister. The only ones left to rescue them are Kazar and Wolverine. Once everyone regains their powers, the Savage Land is restored. But what does the future hold for the Savage Land now? 
as we see a very ominous Mr. Sinister reincarnated in the beach sand or pebbles or whatever it is. Yeah, it was uh, exciting four episodes. Chris, what did you think of them? Yeah, it was definitely an exciting four episodes. They don't really have too much connected between them besides the B plot that runs through the first two episodes that gets picked up as the A plot in the last two. But they're just a really fun group of episodes and a really nice way to end the season. It didn't feel as cohesive as the first season did, but there was so much to really like in it. Like, honestly, of all the episodes, the Beauty and the Beast episode, episode 9, 10, whatever it was, was probably my favorite of them. We had love, action, and shirtless men galore. I thought we had a great additional character development story with Hank in there. The Mojo Vision episode just reminded me so much of WandaVision, you know, and just funny comic one-off stories, issues at the time. I enjoyed that a, a lot more than I probably should have. And then Reunion closed off this part of the Savage Land arc. I don't know if it comes back yet or not. We do see some openings for it to come back. But we have defeated Mr. Sinister for now. So if you're a kid watching this, you get your payoff after watching Mr. Sinister for the entire season. And you have more healing a bit. I don't know if he's completely healed, but he healed. So you got the recovery of Morph in it. So I think these four episodes did a lot for fun and to close off the story. After doing a little bit of research into this, I recovered or uncovered the fact that Season one was its own arc. Then two, three, and four were designed to be one giant arc. And I don't know what comes next. I haven't watched ahead and I haven't read the stories that come ahead. But I can tell that the way this season ended, that there is more to the story. And then we'll get more to the story as things go on. So I really appreciated that. All right. We had a tough time deciding how we're going to discuss the first thing out of these four episodes because there's a lot of points to touch on but we decided to start with mr beast himself a lot happened in that episode what struck me was here's hank who is expected to be this the strong one the rational one and i just remember He's angry and he's rightfully angry. And Wolverine and others are like, wait a minute. Why is Beast acting like Wolverine? Wolverine's like, well, this is like my thing. And I'm someone who is, I was always expected to be the strong one. Michelle, you're so strong and take so much. And I had to be someone who, A lot of people didn't listen to me unless if I screamed when I had something going on. So I understood Hank when sometimes it gets to a point where you have to express your anger and he has the right to do so. And the whole only Wolverine gets to be this way is not healthy and not right. So. The way I always interpreted it, and even more so, you know, with 20 plus years of life experience, is Beast is someone who has 
he looks a certain way and he knows people are going to perceive him a certain way. So he's cultivated this image of very polite, witty, charming, non-threatening guy. And this was what it took to just kind of like push him over that edge, which is a dangerous thing. And you have, I'm not going to say, oh, this is exactly like this situation because it's not, but you have things like black and brown boys, especially being told, oh, you never, ever act threatening in public. Always be very calm, very like, don't seem like you're aggressive and want to start stuff because people freak out. And this is Beast who, you know, he had been so carefully controlled and he was beyond that capability of masking. He was just letting that all go. And at the same time, you know, you have Wolverine who's basically just to please Gene, trying to not be so Wolverine. So it's, it is kind of an interesting flip in that episode, but I love Beast so much more now than I did when I was a kid. And I already liked him plenty as a kid. That really took a hit with his recent comic portrayals. And I'm, by recent, I mean like the last, I don't know, 10-ish years. But yeah, it's easier than ever for me to relate to him. <laughs> My main takeaway from Beast was much more lighthearted. He had spent so much time with Carly, and yet he is surprised that she knows he is a mutant, and surprised that she can recognize him by his smell. Not just she his smell. She can recognize him by the fur, though, and the claws. Not just the smell, the aftershave. Now, think about this for a second. The aftershave. That Beast was the joke, yes. doesn't shave. That was the joke. <sighs> Uh, yeah, there's, again, not only just like character nuances that I appreciate more now, but there's these little jokes and stuff and pop culture references that I didn't get when I was younger. I'll talk more about one or two of those. Actually, no, this episode did have one. There is a Casablanca reference in the way that that final scene with Beast and Carly is framed. I didn't think about it, but thinking back about it, yeah, it's very similarly framed. Mm -hmm. I did like, ultimately, how Carly's father and Hank were able to part amicably, basically. I, I'm not going to say friends or staunch supporter or anything, but it was amicable. They shook hands, which meant a lot to both characters, I believe, in the context of when it was made and just for the characters themselves. I really enjoyed the episode, sat through it, and was like, this is another excellent character-specific episode. We've had one for most of the team now. We had one for Gamut, one for Wolverine, had one for Hank now. The one for Rogue was my favorite last episode. Still is my favorite episode yet because of the whole interconnection with Carol Danvers. But I'm loving what they're doing here, and it's awesome. And also with that episode, you know, talking about masking and again, you know, having to have that veneer, the Friends of Humanity Creed, we find out what he's been masking and him being the son of a mutant. And all of a sudden, it's this one thing and people 
abandon you. And, I, you know, Hank was afraid of Carly's going to find out this one thing about me and he, she's going to abandon me. But she is like, no, I love you anyway. And society being society and they can't be together. And this episode made me cry. It's so good. And again, always relevant. A couple years ago, there was a white nationalist here in the U.S. that took a genetics test and found out he was like some odd percent African. And he freaked out and his essentially followers freaked out and left him. And it's that same thing. It's, oh, this is enough to taint you in our view because you are connected with them, however tenuously or, you know, in this case, it's pretty obvious that he hates mutants because his father, Sabretooth, was a mutant and a terrible person. And of course, the solution is not I'm going to hate everything because of this one person. You can just hate one person and that's fine. Their actions, the the person themselves. Yeah, I think that would be appropriate. Yeah. The next episode we watched was the Mojo Vision episode. Just a ton of fun for me. First of all, I had the first, I watched it twice. And the first time I watched it, I had a heck of a time figuring out what was going on and where. I'm guessing young SP at the time probably would have gotten it a lot easier than me. It took me a while to figure out we're talking about a different dimension, like the dimension of the mojo vision. That's what we're talking about. At least that's what was said in the episode. So once I got past that, I'm like, okay, we're just now having fun in the mojo vision dimension and and there's bad things that happen it's not all fun and games not just one big carnival heck even the audience was created by mojo out of nothing so i'm i'm scratching my head over well if he created the audience then he could create them watching whatever he puts on there you know they could applaud whatever he does anyway but i i like the three short vignettes that they threw in there i think this episode was just for fun Okay, this episode had some references, like I Dream of Gene, obviously, and the Miami Vice thing at the beginning. I never liked any of the Mojoverse stuff. I didn't have the words for why I didn't like it as a kid, but now I think it might be secondhand embarrassment. Like, just... Maybe. I don't know. It's just for whatever reason, the Mojoverse stuff never clicked with me. I think the biggest thing that clicked with me was the Miami Vice thing, right? Because I remember I never watched the show as a kid, but you knew the theme song and you knew the Miami scene that it put out in front of you. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, this puts me back in that time period. I get it. But you're right. It it wasn't incredibly well done. It is fun, though. Like we have Longshot and we have Spiral and, you know, they're fun. The rest of the stuff in it, I was just like, oh, okay, this just is not clicking for me at all. The entire thing, though, it's just fun. I loved it. I'm considerably younger than SP, so I grew up, if I saw these shows, they were on TV land, that kind of thing. The ones that were getting made fun of. But I still knew what they were talking about. I Dream of Gene, Cool. I love that. I know exactly what that's doing. Miami Vice, I know exactly what that's doing. Like the entire thing. And really, I think the way that they paired everybody off with not their super obvious person to be paired off with was my favorite part because 
anybody could have gone in there and said, Scott and Gene, let's do it. But they didn't. You think it's pointless up until the point when Gene realizes that she can manipulate the electronic signals and destroy Mojo's vision, his TV show. It's an important moment because of what happens next season. We've seen moments throughout this season. They've been very tiny of Gene showing what she can do and how she's growing into her power. One thing that I got from this is Longshot had a heck of a lot of cool vehicles because the quick, I don't know, 15 second shot, he was in like four or five really cool vehicles. I'm like, um, and dude's got either a lot of money or like an Alfred behind the scenes to take care of all this stuff. And I, I don't have a lot of history of Longshot, if Longshot really is a Marvel character or not, but oh yeah, <laughs> just looked fun. And I was getting into that. Also, my lesson for that episode is never, ever, ever go to the mall when the X-Men are going to be there because bad things happen when the X-Men go to the mall. This is actually true. This is not the first time in this series. It's about the third or fourth time in this series that this has happened. Hell, even in the movies, you know, the X-Men go to the mall in, um, oh, not first class. It's one of the ones after that. But they go to the mall and things go, you know, pear-shaped. So the last two episodes that we're going to talk about, the last two episodes of the second season, they were both titled Reunion Part 1 and Part 2. It closes off the long arc, the season-long arc that Xavier and Magneto have been having in the Savage Land. I think this was a good way to bring it all to close. Uh, Chris, I think you mentioned the B story quickly turns into the A story, and that's the interconnective tissue with these four episodes. I thought that was a little bit jarring that there was no more B story after we got into reunion, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, everything's coming together, I guess. I don't know, but I would have liked to have some sort of a, a B story in it, but they were doing so much. They have what, 22 minutes of which two minutes are already taken care of by a previously on in the 75 second long intro shot. Their options are getting limited and limited. Matter of fact, that's one of the things I believe I read about Larry Houston, getting back to Larry Houston, is as the scene director, he would be in charge of not wasting any shots. So if there was a shot of the characters walking and then another shot of dialogue going on somewhere, he would then take it and combine it into one and do basically a walk and talk. It wasn't called walk and talk back then. I think he was talking about the walking shots being like a slug. So he combined the slug with dialogue shots and just made the most use of the time that they had. Anyway, reunion part one and part two kind of bigger story episodes. And Lauren, we've been told to restrain you if you talk too much. So I'm just going <laughs> to warn you if you get pulled, it's because you've been talking too much, but you got a lot to say here. Okay, first of all, this is where the reference that I was really like, oh, wow, I can't believe they did that happened. When Brainchild shows up, the little dude with a big head, he says that he guards the place while the master is away, which is from Manos, the Hands of Fate, which is, it's one of like the terrible movies. I highly recommend it, especially with the riff tracks. But okay, the dinosaurs, as somebody who seriously considered going into paleontology it bugged me and i still keep up with a lot of the stuff but it bugged me so much like you have what looks like 
like a patasaurus or a brachiosaur coming out of the water and it has pointy teeth and you have presumably a Deinonychus or a raptor chasing after Wolverine because it has the big claw that sticks up, but it has t- giant T-Rex arms. So the two fingers, but just like buff and it's the wrong size. And then the T-Rex comes out and it's like, that's not how this is at all. And the Triceratops are very tiny. I'm going to stop now, but that bothered me. But it's the savage land full of mutates. This is so one of the things that bugged me was all this time these mutates came on and even we had amphibious and Magneto knows all these people and they talked to him about like, you're the creator, you left us. And this is hinted at the whole arc, but it's never answered. When did Magneto do this? Why did he do this? How did he make the mutate? Why did he leave? Did he leave someone in charge and they left? Did he just decide, I need a new helmet and that's why I'm going to leave? Like, Charles never, what's awesome, that's another thing. Charles was always Charles and he always called Magneto Magneto. That was also an interesting dynamic. But Charles never goes, Hey, Magneto, they keep calling you the former master and they keep saying they were slaves and that you made them. Could you fill me in on that just a bit as we climb up the mountain or walk in the river? You've been talking about that whole walk and talk, climb and talk thing. Maybe a few seconds about why he did it and how. Yeah, that uh, also kind of bugged me. Because, you know, me, I'm a sucker for Xavier and Magneto hanging out. But like Magneto just not even acknowledging any of this was kind of funny to me. Just, oh, these people keep showing up like, oh, you're the worst. You know, you tried to make us slaves and he's just there like, I'm sorry, what did you say, Charles? And Xavier's like, what? I didn't say anything. It's just, it's the weirdest buddy comedy obviously what happened to the mutates was possibly the worst day of their life but for magneto it was just a tuesday (laughs) yeah true i mean every day's a day like that with magneto out of the episodes you get more coming back you get more mind healed by xavier once xavier got his powers back but you also when the powers are off you get Gambit actually kissing Rogue. And this would not happen if they didn't have their powers taken away from them. So I think that is a very impactful thing that happens with the team. As well as, I just want to point it out, because we've been talking about it before, Wolverine's claws don't go away. He still has the animadium claws. But as they go through his skin, he obviously doesn't have the rapid healing. And he knows that as soon as they go out. And he's like, oh, this is going to hurt, basically. And I thought about that for a while. In the show notes, I said, what happened with the bone claws? Well, the claws weren't, they're not his powers. They're in his skin. They're part of his exoskeleton. So when his powers are taken away, it's actually the power of healing. It's endoskeleton. Yeah, endoskeleton. I'm sorry. I, I'm that nerd. I'm sorry. I was the one who was incorrect. Anyway, we don't get the bone claws. And that is the reason why we didn't. I watched the scenes very carefully because, again, I watched this episode twice. 
And the first time I watched the episode, as soon as they got in the Savage Land, I swear the first time the claws came out, they looked like bone claws. But I didn't see it. It's like one scene, and it may or may not be bone claws. But anyway, I just wanted to point that whole thing out because we talked about bone claws before. He still has his adamantium. His mutant power is healing. So you wouldn't see them as bone claws. You would still see them as adamantium. I think what my issue was is somehow in, because remember we talked about the whole animation issues that they were having of having to go back and forth with ACOM. I think in one of the initial shots of wolverine once he gets to the savage land when his claws came out they look a little bit like bone claws to me and that's where my confusion came in i was like well wait a minute but no it's animating claws i just want to make that clear here anyway so we go through this whole savage land thing and we have kazar who's another new character to me i didn't know about kazar before but I have an important question to ask the three of you. So, Lauren, you weren't here last week, but we decided to start an official X-Men shirtless count as we go through the series. <laughs> we got to go back. Chris has said he's volunteered and he said he's going to take the hit and he's going to go back and watch all the episodes with his wife and he's going to count how many shirtless scenes that there are. I counted one in here and that was Wolverine, but Kazar doesn't have a shirt. So does that count as a shirtless x-men or does that not count because it's not part of his normal getup? well technically he's not wearing a shirt and that counts i would say he's also not wearing pants technically Ooh, true i didn't want to think about that yeah none of them are wearing pants God, that would just chafe they're like riding on dinosaurs and stuff and they're scaly well technically pterodons aren't dinosaurs but they're scaly, and it's like just the chafing. Well, probably much to the sensor's delight, we did not see what all is going on underneath the loincloth, so maybe not chafing? There's a possibility. Who knows? That's his real mutant power. <laughs> Anti-chafe. <laughs> is the official mutant shirtless count for these four episodes two or one? I'd say two. Well, are we doing mutants or just characters in general because then that actually skews the the count like are we doing shirtless x-men scenes are we doing shirtless mutant scenes are we just doing shirtless anyone scene that impacts the count you guys tell me what makes most sense here i think we should stick to our group and count x-men shirtless scenes all right and how are we counting Beast? Because even though he walks around most of the time without a shirt and he's furry, you do have the picture of him being furry, wearing a shirt. I love that. It's like, you know, as the pandemic has gone on and people are like, you know what? It's actually more comfortable to just wear like sweatpants or leggings. It's like as Beast got older and got less bothered, he's just like, you know what? Shirts chafe too much. And I respect that for him. Plus, they probably keep a lot of heat in i mean fur keeps a lot of heat in to begin with but then you put on clothes on top of it and then you get really hot and then you're just panting all day long <sighs> poor beast all right so we'll go we, we won't count beast shirtless scenes and we'll just go with x-men and we'll talk offline for anything else but listener if you have something that you want to say about this about how we count this because chris is going to go back and he's going to watch all these episodes. I'm going to make it. And we're going to get our official 
out. All right. After two seasons, I'm in all in on this. I have been in all in on this for quite some time. I wish we'd get another Cara Danvers episode, but I don't think we're going to. Anyway, it's fun. I can't wait to start season three next week. What do you guys think? Yes, very yes. I can't remember. I think season three was my favorite season overall. The last time I did a rewatch was three or four, and I'm pretty sure it's three. So, yes, very excited. I am excited. I'm really glad this show holds up. It's always a concern when you go back and rewatch something that you liked when you were younger. I enjoyed Xanadu, but now as an adult, I realize how bad it is. The same thing with Greece. That's a toxic relationship. That's not good. Why did I like this? But I am watching this and it's like, it holds up. Thank goodness. The more I watch this show, though, the more I realize that Charles Xavier is a 1960s bad Marvel animation character plopped into a good 90s cartoon. Just the way that he talks, his eyebrow game, how he's got that going. He is all over being part of that 1960s aesthetic. And I just love the dichotomy there between super stilted Magneto, what is going on? And everybody else talking like a normal human. I remember thinking when I was younger, okay, we all remember how voice acting was with cartoons in the 80s where you were trying to be very broad for children. So it was always kind of stilted like this. And this was kind of the halfway point in between the more naturalistic stuff that we have now and that very much geared towards a younger audience, very much inspired by theater delivery because pretty much all of the people on this cast were theater actors. And I find that delightful. I'm fascinated. Now I'm fascinated by the line delivery of just that. Like you mentioned, like the 1960s, there's this certain delivery when you go watch old movies and it's, uh, I'm just, I'm delighted by it. It's like watching old Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, I believe I told the story on the podcast before. Maybe it was in the outtakes. I recently, the last few months, probably six months ago, I watched Goonies again. And of course, the acting style of Goonies is vastly different than the acting style today. That film would not be made the way it is today. First of all, you got technology. But second of all, just the, the way the acting went was uh, another. Uh, Richard Donner passed away. And I think I watched it because he passed away. All right, so next week we will start season three. I believe it's the first five episodes, but don't uh, kill me if it's not. And we will get on with stuff for next week. And this is assuming Spider-Man doesn't drop and we haven't heard anything about it. So if you haven't heard anything about it now, then oh, I think we're pretty good. Next week is uh, Moon Knight, isn't it? No, that's no. the end of March. End of March. End of March. Okay, why did I think it was? Oh, I was so excited all day today. You almost got, you might have because they dropped some posters and, you know, you got a little bit more of the Moon Knight look going. Yeah. yeah maybe. What am I thinking of this out next week? I don't know. Anyway, X-Men. X-Men next week, season three. In the meantime, we have some news to talk about and a couple of stories that we've been following for a few weeks. Well, as 
as we all know, a lot of stories have a trilogy, and we have one of our own first part. The Defenders and S.H.I.E.L.D. leaving Netflix, not knowing. Last week, we talked about how they were coming to Canada, Disney Plus in Canada. They were speculating. But now we have part three. We have learned that Marvel's Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, The Punisher, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are going to start streaming on Disney Plus March 16th. And that is in the United States. There is a lot of talk about uh, supposedly Disney Plus is adding these parental controls. I hope they're good parental controls. Some of you might not realize this, but I, I'm a teacher. Let's just put it out there. I am a teacher of middle school and high school. Middle school kids, they know how to get around it. So Disney Plus, your parental controls better be better than Netflix's. Trust me. It's just basically the equivalent of the are you over 18 on some websites? Click. <laughs> I mean, yeah, go figure. Uh, there was a second tweet. I don't know if it was a thread or not, but Disney Plus replied to its own tweet. And they said available in the U.S., Canada, which we learned last week, U.K., Ireland, Australia and New Zealand. And it followed up with updated parental controls available in the U.S. on March 16th. So the good news is that they are going to be streaming all these series, including Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on March 16th on their own properties or on their own streaming service. Question a little bit about the parental controls or the rating or or whatever, because I'm pretty sure some of those Punisher and Daredevil episodes are definitely rated R. No matter what they're rated on Netflix, they should probably be rated R. And as an adult... That's over 50. I think I can watch it, but I worry about young folks watching it and being impacted by in their life. Not that some kids can handle it, but I'm worried about the kids that it's going to affect them. Not that they can't handle it, but it's going to affect them and affect them negatively. And that's why the parental controls are there. As a parent myself, that's what I would be worried about. Now, as a parent myself, my kids pretty much had access to whatever they wanted to watch. They learned really quick if they didn't like horror stuff, that they didn't want to watch it. We didn't make them watch it. That was just how we raised our kids, and they have turned out okay so far. But I realize other parents are a lot more concerning about, like, I don't have a kid that has, I don't know, what is the politically correct term to talk about somebody that has autism? Is it autism or autistic? Is that the- An autistic person? Yeah. Is that the- politically correct term to say i yeah. just want to make sure the medically and politically okay so if you have a kid that has autism you probably don't want them to watch punisher and daredevil and trying to explain what happens to jessica jones Good. that is intense that, yes. that okay. is i feel like i had a really different upbringing than a lot of y'all my parents were very you know oh we're trying to you know, keep you from seeing the wrong influences. So I wasn't allowed to watch like rated R movies that they knew of. But when I was in middle elementary school, the way I found out what sex was, was finding out about a high school student who had been raped and was pregnant by the adult coach at the high school. So, yeah, it, yeah, stuff happens. You 
you can't avoid stuff. The whole thing is you need to just contextualize it, kind of recognize kids are going to find this stuff anyway. You know, this has been parenting advice from somebody who is not a parent. Yes. And this is my thing. They're going to find it. Kids are going to find a way. Parents, you have to step up and know what they're watching. These shows are coming to Disney Plus. They are part of the MCU. I have students who know the MCU. They grew up with it. That's how old all this is, how old I am. Anyway, if they put it in that MCU, Disney Plus actually has like the timeline. They group MCU together. They have the whole big timeline thing, even with Agent Carter in there. If they put it in there, you have to know what this is. If you're like, I've never been Netflix. Oh, it's just a Marvel show. You have to step up and know what is part of the MCU and that the MCU isn't all just bright, pretty colors. They went to Daredevil and Jessica Jones and so on. So Lauren, in response to one thing you said, I just want to point out that my parents were very restrictive probably overly restrictive. So I kind of rebelled the other direction, but yeah, I was up. I I had difficulty contextualizing a lot of stuff as I was growing up because I had not been exposed to it or talked about it by my parents. I think the biggest thing was what was that CBS movie about world war three when the nuclear weapons were going off threads? No, it was day the day after the day after that scared the bejeebies out of me scared a whole generation it's right so yeah. that was about the most impactful thing that i watched when i was younger was the day after on i believe it was cbs and i've watched that recently in the last couple of years too it is tame compared to the stuff that you get today but what was available to me and my mind at the time and the time that it came out it was it was radically different yeah I just wanted to say, like, with what Michelle said is the whole thing is you need to contextualize it. If you go back and look at any of the like, you know, oh, the most disturbing, what's the most disturbing thing movie you ever saw as a kid? So many kids like of my generation say Watership Down because Mm. their parents are like, oh, it's a cute rabbit movie. You need to actually know. I mean, recognize your kids are going to find a way to watch it if they really want to watch it. But you need to know what a thing is like my parents watched south park before telling me i wasn't allowed to watch it which i had been doing since it premiered anyway without them knowing but they tried sorry mom the other thing my my parents are out of the country right now so sorry mom the other thing that i wanted to say is i think we were talking about this either last week or two weeks ago inhumans is in fact checked is i didn't click watch but it is available on disney plus now and it has been for quite some time so if you're jonesing for something that was on an abc that was technically supposed to be part of the mcu but arguably probably is not inhumans already is available until march 16th come out and then go to town watching agents of shield or if you're old enough one of these netflix shows chris you've been astoundingly quiet do you have anything to say about this I mean, the first thing I thought of when I saw parental controls was the Muppets that, and how they have that on Disney Plus. And it's just a warning like, hey, this has stuff that might be bad. And I'm really hoping their controls are something better than that, because right now the only thing I can think of them doing is that or hi, this is a child account. 
you can't watch this. Boop, boop. Kid goes to the parent account. There you go. Yeah, we won't get into the business discussion behind this of why it makes sense for Disney Plus to elevate to adult programming because of uh, just being able to stay in business long term. But just recognize that that is probably part of their decision making as well. Does this mean that we are getting splashback with Daryl Hannah's butt without the poor CGI hair? I'm guessing it's a possibility, right? Anyway, Chris, what do we got on tap next? Next, we have something that I know I have been speaking to y'all a lot about. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to start filming in Puerto Rico. I say start. I really mean continue. Multiple sources tell One Take News, which is the name of the place, literally One News, that Black Panther Wakanda Forever will be filming in Puerto Rico sometime soon. While we aren't sure of the full context of the shoot, one source indicated that this was meant to double for Haiti. Which makes sense. They're pretty close geographically, so you get a similar environment. Yeah. So this is a new story that we haven't been following for consecutive weeks, but we've been following for months. So Chris, you want to give some of the background as to why this is important? Black Panther has had some issues getting filmed. A lot of it because Latita Wright had some COVID issues, both with having it and with not wanting to get vaccinated and being in another country. And then there was worry that she was or was not going to be able to come back to the U.S. to continue filming. You've had all kinds of production delays due to injury, due to horrible timing with when they were filming things and COVID stuff happening. And this movie just has been in production hell for a while. I think that about sums it up. I was wondering if the reason that they choose to start the reshoots out of the country, and I I will put out of the country in quotes because Puerto Rico is technically part of the United States, but I don't know if Puerto Rico is covered by the same like guild procedures that are covered here in the United States. And maybe they chose that site so that they could film without having to mandate everybody on the cast and crew be vaccinated. It's a possibility. I don't know the answer to that, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. So I'm glad that they're doing this. We all want to see the back, the back to the future. We all want to see the Black Panther movie and we want to see it continue. So I'm glad that they're able to make some sort of resolution to continue filming. And I, I do recognize the fact that Latita Wright was injured. So I hope that she is fully recovered to be able to come back as well. Black Panther to the future. Now, Lauren, you have our second triple feature of the night. I do. So this is a story that I guess y'all started covering last week. Patrick Stewart talks, confirms, Professor X and Doctor Strange 2. It's an interview on, it's called Jake's Takes. We're going to be linking to the YouTube video. He was asked about the recent Multiverse of Madness trailer, and he said, Well, I had my phone turned off as it happened, so I didn't hear anything. It wasn't until the next morning when I woke up and looked at my phone and found that I had been bombarded with responses and that my PR people had sent me reactions that they had detailed and passed on to me. I actually didn't recognize my own voice. It sounded different. Whether I had a cold or something at the time, I don't know, but I was astonished, and all they saw was the back of my shoulder and I think my earlobe, nothing else. There would have been so many connections made, but uh, it pleased me. Pleased me, too. 
Just to correct you, Lauren, this is the third week we've been talking about this. Third week. We talked about it during the Super Bowl or right after the Super right. Bowl. Right, 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 right. We talked about Patrick Stewart's initial reactions, which he was like, oh, it might have been me, might not, I don't know. And then this is him just coming clean. Here's what I think's happened. I think what's happened is the Disney PR people and the Disney snipers got together and they said, Patrick Stewart, you're a person of note. You have all these other properties that are running, like Hard Season 2 just came out. You're going to be in part of the press. What we're going to do is we're going to leverage that and we're going to have you do some certain things to get everybody ginned up for Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse of Madness. Here's what you say. So I think Patrick Stewart's basically parroting what he's been told to say by PR people, whether it's Marvel or his own PR people. And good on you. Keep it up because I want to hear more about Patrick Stewart's involvement in this movie whether it's illuminati or professor xavier i just think patrick stewart has been taking troll classes from gail simone (laughs) next thing you know we're going to find out that patrick stewart is most definitely not a bear and i hate to say this but i don't blame him for not recognizing his own voice i mean chris you had problems you didn't recognize it when you first heard it the very first time it isn't unless it's like the only thing in the room that you're watching. You don't have any background noise. I could see how you missed that. And it could have been something else. I could see that if you go back and you listen to it. So I'm not going to blame Patrick Stewart that he didn't recognize. His I own am. Voice. It's his own voice. You should know that. <laughs> I have an excuse because I was looking for so many things all at once. But he, you should recognize your own voice. Man, you're, you're just being hard on the guy. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't. I hear myself talk back on certain things and it's like that's Wait, that's my voice? That's not my mom? That's yeah. me? I said that? No, that's me. Usually, I say that. I, I know. Yeah. I, I use, that's what I usually say is, wow, I don't remember saying that. I said that? Really? Okay. Yeah. I've basically started just considering my voice recorded a completely separate entity from me because, first of all, that's not how I hear it. And second of all, I have to listen to it so much when I'm editing stuff that it's just like, I'm tuning this out. This does not register. So yeah, occasionally you can have that. Well, that doesn't sound like me. And I know that my narrator voice is very different from how I talk normally. And this right here is very different from how I talk normally. So I don't blame him at all. Also, just for the record, I love Gail Simone being a troll. So I really hope she is teaching him how to be a troll. That's the second time you mentioned that in two weeks. She's so good at it. Yeah, she I is. know. Is she like Beetlejuice? If we talk about her again next week, she'll appear. She's welcome to. She's welcome to. She can appear on our show or on our Twitter feed anytime. All right, that's it for the news this week. And in honor of Lauren's fascination of what went on in X-Men, the animated series this week, we are all going to hop on our own dinosaur and get on out of here. Guys, it's been a week, and I'm so glad we had a chance to do this tonight. Had give me a chance to decompress and get ready for the day of the week to come. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much to our listeners for downloading and listening to this podcast. We really appreciate you. And if you have something to say, something to say at all, I don't care what it is. Like SP, your hair was bad this week, or Chris, you sounded very suave this week, or you know whatever it is. Let us know. 
and we will talk about it on the show in the future. Or if you say, don't mention this, then we won't mention it. Trust me, we won't. We will respect your wishes. But thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who is joining us as we talk X-Men, the animated series. As you can tell, we're having a blast. We hope you are, too, whether you're a fan from back in the day or, you know, maybe just watching for the first time. Just have fun, enjoy it, and thanks for listening. I forgot to mention, I wanted to make sure viewers out there realize the message that the X-Men got from Morph was on something called a cassette tape. These actually did exist. We had to have special players and she put it in right. You put it, there was like a two reels and then there was the tape and then there's the sides that they didn't have. So you had to make sure you put it in, not the tape first. You put it in like the way she did and put it down and, and there were, has a flip lid that we had to use and then we pressed play so i just wanted to make sure that you realize that was actual technology of the time and nothing futuristic i wanted to make sure i shared that educational point with everyone <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and what kind of science do they use to make sure that the tape plays <laughs> magnetism <laughs> how do they work <gasps> I, yeah love everyone who you know Thank you, everyone who watches us, downloads us, listens to us, consumes us in any sort of way. If you are interested in hearing what I have to say sometimes about things, you can find me on Twitter at shell underscore game. And that's basically I'm here now. That's where I live right now. Yes. Thank you to everybody who puts up with us throwing our crazy fan theories out into the world. So much fun knowing that we have people listening. And SP is right. Tell us whatever you want, except don't tell me to wear sleeves because it's hot in here and I'm not going to do it. If you want to hear me, though, for a lot of other things, you can head on over to Play Comics. Last week's episode was just kind of a five minute, I can't do this because the world sucks. But most of the time, it's a fun little show. And I know guaranteed next week is going to be a regular episode where I'm talking to somebody about a game, but I don't know which one it is yet. And maybe I'll know by the time this episode goes live. We look forward to seeing that. So if you want to get a hold of us, there's a, our Twitter account at Legends of Shield. There's also our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. So until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. If you don't hear from us, Zabu, avenge us. I wrote off on a pterodactyl. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended.
other people. Hey, I'm playing Apex Legends. I'll probably die real quick, though. <laughs> okay. So, Lauren, what can you yes. tell us about last week? Oh, God. Okay. So, I can't talk about the project yet, but hopefully soon. It should be released in the next month or two. I did some work I'm very proud of. And then a friend of mine from uh, my voice class showed me around L.A. And I was like, not expecting that. I thought that he was just going to drop me off at the bus station after lunch. But uh, no, I got to see like the Hollywood Hills and Rodeo Drive and the Hollywood Bowl. And it was just like, wow, okay, (laughs) I've seen all this stuff on TV. That's cool. Yeah. You've never been out to L.A. before? No. I've never been to California until this. It's a trip, isn't it? I used to live there. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I really dug it. It's been a while since I've heard or told this story. So whenever you go out to California, especially in the L.A. area, inevitably you run into this. And it scares the crap out of you because it's never happened to you before. And you don't realize it's going to happen. Or maybe you've heard it's going to happen and you just like, ah, whatever. I've been driving all my life. It's no big deal. On the freeway, especially when you're stopped, there will be motorcycles that go in between the cars. Oh, God. Yeah. No, this happens here, too. A hundred miles an hour. So you're just like sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's unnerving. But then after a while, you just get used to looking in your side view mirror for approaching missiles coming at you yeah yeah when i lived in houston and i was going back and forth to galveston galveston has a big biker community and they have a biker festival every year so yeah i got used to motorcycles dodging traffic and it's like this is terrifying and you should be scared and not doing this either Time loops. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you keep saying time loop episodes are your favorite, so. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We're out. So I was asking a few people what I should do, whether it should just be SP looped saying time loops a few times and then go on, or whether I should mix it in. And everybody told me I should mix it in like I did. And then as I'm doing it, I'm like, you know, I really don't want to listen to SP say time loops that many times because I knew I was going to have to listen to it a lot to get the video cut right. That's why I offered to cut the video so I can do that. And then I'm sitting there and it's like, I got to make this a little bit different. So let's kind of degrade the film a little bit and throw an extra layer of the filter (laughs) on every time it comes on. And then, oh, wait, I've got the Isotope vinyl filter. Let's set it to as old as it can go for the last one and just get newer and newer. And then, you know what? How are we going to get this out? Because we've been looping so much. Glitch it out. <laughs> uh, it was very no, Fallout-esque. Was, I, I liked it. it. Major Shrek, but every time he says his name, the movie gets worse vibes. Is anybody here excited about Kenobi? Yes. Okay. So I, I am because they're bringing back Hayden Christensen and he deserves a second shot with better writers and better directors because 
it wasn't his fault, just like it wasn't Jake Sloyd's fault, just like it wasn't Emily DeCamp when with their Richard Carter and they were trying to like reduce her role. It wasn't her fault that the writers, you know, it's writers, directors. So I'm glad about that part. And same. Yeah. Okay. You're the first person to say something to make me remotely interested because I had not been interested at all. First of all, the story's already been told for the most part, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the cartoons and on screen. Uh, so I had no, and, and the story's moved past these characters. So I'm like, I don't want to go back to these characters, just like I don't want to go back to Andor. I'm done with that part of the universe. Star Wars, quit shoving this at me. I don't want it anymore. I want to go forward. They want to continue shoving it at me. And I was thinking about why. Why do they want to? It's because that era has so many like sets and everything that they have in the parks. It keeps those relevant, right? And so that's, I think, why they want to do it is because the ancillary parks. They got to sell that $6,000 night hotel somehow. Exactly. They do. So that's how they're doing it. But I have no, I had no desire for either Kenobi or Andor and probably a couple other things I can't remember. But I'm so hyped for pretty much all of them. And the teen angst part of Anakin, both in the animation stuff and on screen, I have no interest of it. So if they can, if they can move beyond that, if they can give Caden Christensen another shot and not give me the same Hayden Christensen, I'd be okay, but I'm going into it very skeptical. Oh, and they're giving him training too, better training this time. I mean, they, those two really rehearsed that lightsaber, which is that, which is like the best lightsaber duel. Yes. Yeah. Ever. But yeah, he's training again They're, You know, even McGregor is just like really happy that they got to, they got to bring him back. And that's really what, if it wasn't, if it was just Obi-Wan going to desert, like we got that with Boba Fett. Um, I kind of like how Boba Fett turned into like Mandalorian season 2.5 because of like, they're bringing Hayden Christensen back and stuff like that. That's what got me interested. In we it. also got Kenobi with Ezra and that kind of closed the book on Kenobi in the desert for me. I guess if they bring back Ezra into Kenobi, which they have indicated is not going to happen, at least that's the last information I saw. But if they did, I'd be okay with that too. But I haven't heard anything like that. So, yeah, just my personal process to bear, I guess. I don't know. Hey, I still haven't seen that Rise of Skywalker movie, and I don't think I ever will. Oh, you're not missing out. I just, I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. Isn't it funny how the sequels ended at two movies? (laughs) I would say ended at one, but that's... I love The Last Jedi. Just like there hasn't been um, an an Indiana Jones movie since The Last Crusade. (laughs) Didn't you know that? Yes, I did, actually. I actually enjoyed Crystal Skull. Why? There's parts of it that I really like. Why is that, Chris? Why did you enjoy it? I like watching bad movies. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, oh, my God. Mano's Hands of Fate. That it's one of the best riff tracks. It is. I went to their live one that they did for it and. Their live ones for like that and Plan 9 from Outer Space were both just mm, so good. Oh, God, I kind of want to watch Mano's Hands of Fate again now. Maybe I'll do that this evening. I don't have time. I'm 
watching the expanse for that other podcast. Uh, I'm almost done with it. So I'm watching it all the way to the end. So we podcasted on three seasons so far. The third one will come out next week. Then it was like, okay, I'm just going to watch the rest of it. So I've been watching it um, halfway or more than halfway through season five right now. Season six, really short, just six episodes. So I'm almost all the way done with it. And then I'm going to go back and take notes on season four. And so I'm doing that, which is taking a lot of my time. Space Force came out. There's a bunch of other stuff I'm reading. I want to talk to Chris about this for a couple of weeks now. I'm reading Wheel of Time. Hey, how are you liking it? Well, you know, I was confused as heck watching the first episode of Wheel of Time on Prime, right? And after reading the book, just the scenes that are in my mind from that first episode are making contextual sense now. Uh, not that it's a one for one or anything, but you're uh, starting with the eye of the world, right? Yeah, it's the first one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because there is a prequel and I read the prequel first because my wife is a horrible person and wanted to see what I thought of everything. Having read the prequel first. Mm. Yeah. I know my friend loves it because she loves Moraine and so on, but I'm still only like a third of the way through Eye of the World right now. So, the book or the series? The book. Okay. I've seen the whole season. How many episodes were there? Uh, nine, ten, eight, eight maybe. Did Chris, did you say three? No, it was like six or eight. Yeah. 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 I think it was eight. I think. Anyway, I'm going to read the book before I get there. Hey, there's a, there's a lot of kick ass women and it's gay as So, hey. Yes. Here for it. Are the books like that? Like they, uh, they are less gay. They're less gay, but they're still really cool but women. Good kick ass. Um, okay, so I know everyone hated Nynaeve in the books because she's just like always mad for no reason, and her only character trait seems to be tugging on her braid and being angry. But she's my favorite character in the show. She's just a lot easier to empathize with in the show i feel like Egwene hasn't really done much moraine really? is moraine uh, so i was hoping Egwene would because well i'm 11 percent in the book and right now i would say the main characters at this point are rand and Egwene. Egwene is fantastic in the show she's everybody's perfect child yeah rand okay it freaks me out on the show Rand looks like exactly a 50-50 mix between episode two Hayden Christensen and late 90s Ryan Philippe. Yes. For a moment, I thought it was actually Ryan Philippe. <laughs> no, you, that, that's, that's not right. Yeah, yeah. And for those that are saying, oh, SP, 11%, that's not far. This is like a 400-plus page it's a book. book. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's about this thick. It's, it's, they're probably taller than you. If you stack all the paperbacks on each other. Oh, probably. That's why I gave up. That's why I got a Kindle, because I'm done collecting books. I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. Oh, no more physical copies for you for anything? Well, well, leather-bound signed copies of all of the David Weber Honorverse. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. One in 100 Peach Momoko. Nice. So, yeah. There will still be some physical copies of some stuff, but I'm done with that. I'm I'm trying to divest myself of stuff so that I can move easier. Even if I don't downsize, I just want to move easier. And yeah. books are incredibly heavy. And yeah. And 
whenever I'm somewhere that I want to read, I don't have the book that I want to read in front of me. And then with this, I either have it on there already, or I can quickly download it if I'm in some sort of Wi-Fi or something like that. So, and the battery on this lasts forever because it's the ebook, even though it's paperwhite, it's ebook. Yeah. I just, I just use the Kindle app on my phone. It's too small for me to read an actual book. And believe it or not, this is lighter than my phone. I'll believe it. So oh, yeah. hold it longer. Anyway, I just, I've been wanting to say that for a while that I know we mentioned it like when the series came out and I said, I was so confused that I need to stop and read the book. Well, I have been reading the book. It just takes me a while to read because my available time is not there because everything else going on. And especially right now. Well, if you have yeah, podcast uh, listening, there's also a podcast that I listen to called Wheel Weaves and they're looking at the book. A chapter or two at a time. Yeah, um, I think Wheel Takes is also doing their super long podcasts, but they're doing it from like, okay, here's somebody who's never read the books before and is reading through them, and they try to avoid spoilers, and some of the people on the cast are like screenwriters and casting directors, so they talk a lot about the show from that perspective, and it's pretty cool. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.